What's going on, everyone? Today is February 20th, 2024. Welcome to the Invested in Hockey podcast. My name is Anthony Santini, joined here with Eric Wilson. And today we are going to be doing an exclusive, I think our second episode that's going to be kind of showing our face, doing the Zoom call, trying to know. I know we did it over the Christmas break. We tried something. It didn't really work out too well because we are having a little bit of technical difficulties, but I think this one's going to go pretty well. But without further ado, we're going to kind of just jump right into it and talk about what an amazing season it's been so far. And we're going to start off with a player that's been having an amazing season, Austin Matthews. He's hit 49 goals now, back-to-back hat tricks, and it was just ridiculous watching him play hockey the last couple of days. Like, it's getting really tough for the doubters to have an argument, really tough. Very, very tough. And if you're going to doubt it, you're probably going to bring up another era or another season and another player who you're going to compare him to. But man, those, those goals have all been pretty nice too. Like snipes from the slot. Like you love to see it, right? Yeah. It's been crazy. Like, it's not like he's just kind of giving up like muffins. Obviously he has like a couple goals that are, you know, he finds himself in the right spot at the right time, but that's just kind of like that goal scoring mentality where you're able to find yourself in the right spot. I don't know if you were there that one night, but me and Murray were watching the, um, it was Red Wings versus Oilers, maybe Friday night, Saturday night, something like that. But Patrick Kane had, I think, a goal and an apple, one power play point, and he found himself right in the perfect spot. He was able to get a nice shot of the net, nice empty net look goal of, uh, I think it was, oh, I think it was Skinner in net. I'm not exactly sure, but me and Murray were just pretty much having a nice conversation about how, you know, even though you might get a backdoor pass or just kind of like a rebound that falls to your stick, being a good goal scorer is having that ability, like being in the right spot at the right time. And Matthews has been nothing short of amazing this season. Exactly. And speaking of like that term, empty net, he has zero like official empty net goals, which is pretty crazy. When you look at some guys like, you know, Ovechkin who happens to have a few this year, like um, 49 goals, it's crazy. And uh, again, we heard that, we've heard the term 70 being mentioned and that's obviously an insane goal that obviously is in reach now. So um, I guess that leads me to, to bring up some other players on the Leafs who have been outstanding as well. Uh, Mitch Marner with 10 assists in the last four games. Um, obviously he's not being talked about just because the, the spotlight deserves to be on Austin Matthews, but um, w- when you're missing Morgan Riley, like the offensive outputs still there, it, it's pretty awesome. eh? Oh yeah. Like, it's almost like the opportunity for Morgan Riley to be out of the lineup was actually beneficial for the Leafs because they found Lilligren, who's been able to take over that first power play, and he's looked great. And it looked like the issue of depth scoring that we've personally talked about and all of us have talked about so much, where you don't really see guys like Domi, Bertuzzi, um, McCann, all these guys that have really been off the score sheet in the goals column. You could look at Bobby McCann. He had a hat trick, and then I think what he scored against Anaheim, or maybe he had two goals, something like that. But he's playing amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of looking at a different Leafs team right now, and we haven't really talked about the goaltending too much being an issue. Which, being a Leafs like supporter, I want to say, and watching them so much this season, it has been just like a constant, reoccurring topic of discussion. Yeah, it's it's that's another topic where it's like it's so nice when you don't have to, when you don't have to worry about the goaltending. And like, again, although goaltending is like, it's nice when you can credit it and say like, you know, brick wall here, some key saves here. Like Samsonov hasn't been challenged enough for us to say like, he's won them X amount of games. Like, of course, you know, when you make some big stops, you can say the goalie helped win the game, but like, it's really been the offense. Like 
it's really been the offense, especially in those games against St. Louis, right? Where like, you, if you're going to let three or less goals in, then you give yourself a good chance to win. Uh, and it, it's nice to see, even though, um, even though you're seeing a lot of other high scoring games, which we'll, we'll talk about later on too. That's a whole other topic, but um, I want to kind of bring in a bit of a fun fact, which I've been looking forward to asking you about for the last couple of days, but uh, I was on daily face off really good website for line combos, obviously, um, you know, fantasy hockey related things like that. But were you aware of what the Leafs did on their top power play unit um, in practice? And I believe they used it in the game against St. Louis. Hmm. I want to say no, I was not aware. If I were to guess, I'm going to say maybe they tried out a defenseman on the set. Was it the first unit or second unit? So I'll give you a hint. And, Lilligan wasn't on the first unit. Okay. So it's this is weird, and I I didn't even believe it. And I, and we'll be honest here, we didn't watch this Leafs game because it was at one o'clock. But the they had five forwards on the top unit. See, that was going to be my guess because when you have people like when you have the opportunity to put out Marner, Tavares, if I'm going to assume who was out there, Marner, Tavares, Willie, Matthews. Who would be number five? Maybe Domi. I mean, Domi's meshed pretty well with them. I don't know if you know what the exact. I, I believe it was, was Bertuzzi. I think it was Bertuzzi, but yeah. I mean, Bertuzzi kind of surprised me a little bit. But I mean, we've seen so many teams kind of do that. We haven't really seen it with the Leafs, though. I know when we were watching the Wild game just the other night, and that was an absolute barn burner, ten to seven that they won. That was ridiculous. But Brock Faber wasn't even on that power play, and they were rolling with five forward so maybe i think sheldon keith took a page out of their book i don't know but that's a crazy yeah. stat that you caught on to yeah well the reason i even looked into it was because lilligren had zero, zero points uh yesterday and i was like hold on a minute like like what happened here maybe he wasn't on the power play there but i was like it, first of all if they're gonna score a power play goal good chance he kind of contributes even if it's a secondary assist right so that's kind of why i i um i guess asked asked you in the first place because i don't i haven't seen it very often where you know, they use those five forwards, but obviously it's it's crucial when you have some some players who can just create offense, right? I think that's the thing about the Leafs that makes them so good is they're just so offensively talented that they don't really have to rely on their defense too much, but that's kind of been to a fault this year. It's almost felt like, you know, their defense hasn't been too well. And it's almost like we're at another deadline. We're looking at the Leafs and we're saying, all right, how are we going to fill the lineup with better defensemen? You know, Morgan Riley's fine, but it just feels like no one else has been playing up to par this year. Lilligren's been well, but it's not a defenseman that is really going to push you over the top. And then yet again, it felt like year after year, this happens all the time. But the goalie's issue, the goalie issues in Toronto just keep finding and reoccurring. And it's just a re regurgitating issue. It's it's a little bit weird because we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Leafs fans and being confident in Joseph Wall when they come back. Me personally, if I were the Leafs, I wouldn't be feeling that confident when Joseph Wall comes back. Yeah, it's one of those uh, topics where, like, you kind of related to how the league's feeling. And I think, like, a lot of the league's not confident in, like, their goaltending, right? And, like, it starts, man, I want to, I have to bring up Nico Dawes because I know you're a big fan of him. And, like, teams like that, where, like, it's almost like no matter what position you're in, you, aren't that confident in your goaltending, right? We see teams like with a playoff push, like uh, obviously New Jersey, and it's almost like you're not confident in your goalies, but you just have to roll, right? Like for them, it's like they just have to roll and make that playoff push right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it feels like 
honestly at this point we're at the point of the season where it's like what game 50 something so starting to get close to the trade deadline march 8th is the trade deadline and it feels like there's going to be a lot of trades coming up i think the teams that will make the biggest changes in net me personally could be maybe a team like calgary could be a team and that would be trading away markstrom a team like um, New Jersey looking for, like you mentioned, looking to acquire a goalie, a team like maybe LA that could be looking to acquire a goalie, a team like even maybe the Leafs. I mean, I don't know what goalie or how much you would look to pay right now for a player like Markstrom or even Soros, I know has been in discussion. So a lot is definitely on the line. But for me right now, I just think that a lot of these Canadian teams look well. And I know that you want to talk a little bit about that because you've been pretty confident that maybe the Stanley Cup could, depending how the season turns out, come back to Canada, considering how well that these seven teams have been playing. Maybe not your Stanley Cup pick, but, you know, the way we're going right now has been the best in a while. Yeah, I want to, I could really want to emphasize that, like, this is the best, um, best, like, overall Canadian regular season ever with the seven teams that exist. And uh, we had the Jets join the NHL in 2011 to 2012 which was the year after the Canucks made the Stanley Cup finals and I don't know if you remember that year but the Canucks won the president's trophy that year and obviously yeah. now we're looking at it where Vancouver could win that president's trophy so it's like it's almost like we're seeing a bit of a bit of history repeat itself but we're seeing Edmonton look good Toronto look good Winnipeg look good and Vancouver four out of seven teams looking solid and being like contenders real contenders is pretty awesome like um and i think that's just good for good for canadian hockey um it almost takes the focus off of those struggling teams like ottawa and you know montreal like which sucks but again like we will stick to that positive side so um appreciate you letting me bring bring up that canadian aspect there yeah i think it's been really surprising the i mean obviously it's been great to see all these teams playing so well and it's definitely good to see like being able to stay up late and watch the Edmonton game the Calgary games like out there but you know it's a little bit it, it's disappointing to see that you know a Canadian team hasn't won the cup in so many years I think the stat is like 30 years or I remember we were looking it was like 27 I don't know exactly what it is but over 20 years for sure so it's been way too long, and I know I'm definitely excited to see who wins the Stanley Cup, and I'm hoping that it could come back to Canada here. Exactly. You just want to see those jerseys on the streets when it's the Stanley Cup Finals, whether they're – no matter what teams they are. But, again, if it's a Canada versus USA matchup, that'd be pretty sick, right? Oh, that'd be crazy. That'd be absolutely that'd crazy. Be awesome. That'd be so cool. And, honestly, makes me think of all the kind of sick jerseys that I've seen, um, especially when it came to the weekend and those stadium series jerseys. I was going to ask you about those. I mean, looking at all four of them, because there was what there was Flyers, Rangers, Islanders, and Pen no, not Penguins, Devils. Devils. So if I were to rank them, I'll give you a quick ranking because I was able to catch both games. So I have like a general idea of what I like. I think by far those Flyers jerseys were the best. Those oh, yeah. were so nice, and I've always been an advocate for the Flyers. Like we were watching the other game, we were watching the game last week. I don't know who it was against, maybe like Flyers. Someone we we watched like the third period. And I was like, man, those Flyers jerseys are so ugly that they're actually really nice. You know what I mean? Well, so like, it's exactly like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're so ugly that they're really nice. Like I was an advocate for them just based on like the simplicity of it. You know what I mean? Yes. So at least for the stadium series, I'll say that they had the best. I always love the Flyers jerseys. 
I'll say number two had to be the Devils. Those were just clean. Like we saw how they looked. Jack Hughes looked sick. That great game. Third, I'm going to go Rangers. I thought those jerseys were kind of chill. They had like the uh, NYR, I believe, on the helmet and then the big letters on the shoulder. So, or the big numbers on the shoulder. Sorry. So I love that. And then those Islander, Islander jerseys were just terrible. I don't know. I don't know who designed them. I, I'm personally not a big fan of them, but obviously yeah. any hockey jersey I'd say is really nice. But if I were to go to my personal pick of what the stadium series jerseys rankings are, I'm going to go Flyers, Devils, Rangers, and then Islanders. I actually, I like that ranking a lot. I have to mention the one jersey that I thought of when you mentioned like the simplicity behind it and that ugliness. Um, do you remember those Jets jerseys that were like a weird blue and had like a really weird font on the back for the numbers and the the last name? And it said Jets in like a very simple font. Was that the one with like the old logo? Not a logo. It literally just said Jets in white and like navy blue like border. And I'll have to show you the jerseys, but like I'm, I'm curious what our viewers think on like those old Jets jerseys because they got so much hate. And, like, this was probably three years ago or something where – you know how everyone posts them on, like, socials before they even get to wear them? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so they kind of got all the critique. And then once they were out, like, in that Jets arena, it, it was pretty electric. And, like, I don't know, it kind of worked for them. They they looked fast, speedy. Um, but, yeah, like, honestly, jerseys are a whole whole other topic we could do a whole podcast on. So it's it's kind of nice to look into and appreciate those Stadium Series weekends a little more, right? Yeah, we've talked about jerseys forever, and we've looked at them, we've watched them, we've worn them, we've bought them, we've sold them, we've done everything. Hockey jerseys are one of my favorite jerseys because you can kind of do so much with it. You can wear it in the summer to an extent. You can wear it in the winter. You can wear it under a sw- or over a sweater. Sorry, you could wear it to a game. You could wear it at the house. You could do a bunch of things with it. But I think by far, and this kind of, I know hits home for you a little bit, is those Minnesota Wild jerseys. Just in general, I think that the trio of jerseys that they have. And especially watching that, pair that with the game that we watched winning 10-7 to 7 this weekend was ridiculous. I love watching Minnesota games just because of their jerseys, the players, Kaprizov, Boldy, Faber, Gustafson, whoever it is. Like, even watching Flurry, like, Minnesota is a pretty exciting team, but it hasn't really panned out for them this year. But we're able to see some players get back on track with a big win uh, on Sunday. Yeah, honestly, like, makes you think of a football game score, but being 10 to 7, obviously, right? Something you would see in, like, the first half of a football game. Um, But honestly, I think going back to your point about the Wild being exciting, I think we're finally seeing some credit given to Joel Erickson Eck, who was an underrated player for years and years, right? Um, Yeah. At least some other guys in, like, you know, Faber, who's a rookie. But I think Erickson Eck and, like, Boldy, seeing them produce is is just amazing. Um, I, I took one of those takes before the season where I said, like, Kaprizov's kind of going to be left alone a little and and he's going to be that number one scorer, but they, they've actually had production, um, re- really good production, I guess, from their key players. And uh, nice to see, really nice to see, but I, I do see um, a really interesting division there and like a fight for the wild card spot, right? And like, it, it kind of makes me mention some other struggling teams that are out of the playoffs, like Nashville, Seattle, is there one team there that you think could squeeze in? I mean, I don't know. I feel like Minnesota's a little bit out of reach. If we're going to talk, are you talking about just in general, or are you talking about the division? I guess any – What are we West talking about Western here? Conference team. Any Western Conference team you think could maybe squeeze in into the, the wild card race? 
don't know. I mean, it's been so tough. I don't know if I have an exact team in mind that I want to pick right now that has really stood out to me. I mean, there's been a lot of surprises, obviously, Vancouver, that you would say, you know, if we were looking at right now, like February time, if we were look at – sorry, I messed my words up there. But if you're going to look in September if, and we're going to talk about where Vancouver is going to stand in February – um, we're going to say, you know, I don't know if they're a playoff spot. Maybe they're on the edge. Even looking like a team like Edmonton, like mid-October, mid-December, mid-November, sorry. People were fully writing this team off, and they might just go out and win their division – or, sorry, win their conference. So, yeah. it's pretty ridiculous to see some some of these teams really turn it around. Yeah. It's like you see a team get two points one night, two points in the next night. They have, like, you know, the odd loss, which for, uh, I think, Edmonton, it was to, to, to Vegas, right? But, like – Oh, they're just rolling. Team teams just seem to have that those five game stretches out of nowhere when you don't expect it, right? Yeah, that's the best thing. And like the Oilers went on what what was it like a seventeen or eighteen game win streak? So I think that definitely. I mean, I don't think I know that definitely helped them get back in the running. Hmm. And you almost needed to do that. And I think that's where people were kind of not doubting them, but they kind of hesitated to say, you know the Oilers could be a playoff team, let alone a content or sorry, could be a contender, let alone a playoff team is because you'd almost need a massive run like that. And with the goaltending they had, I don't think a lot of people were confident with that, but the Oilers have really turned it around and they look good. And McDavid looks really good too. Mm -hmm. I know it's so nice to see, like, again, there's just, there's been a lot more like, honestly, like positivity in terms of league production recently, like just because we can appreciate the Leafs doing well, appreciate the Oilers doing well. Um, there's almost like less teams, less teams declining. It feels in the last few weeks, just because it's been so, so tight with some great games. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So many people are just coming on the upslope and I know, yeah, I don't want to predict anything just yet, but the Bruins have their work cut out for them playing the Oilers this week. So I don't know what that game's going to look like, but that's going to be a really good game. It feels like the Bruins have had a lot of good games on the schedule recently. Played Winnipeg, played Vancouver in the past two weeks. So, man, we've had nothing short of great hockey to watch. Yeah, even that nice Dallas game that we we watched, or I watched that shootout yesterday, pretty nasty move for McAvoy to win the game. So we'll give some credibility to him because I I didn't really see any uh, stud stud work from Harley or Heiskin in there. But moving on to that game, Bruins-Oilers, I'm uh, I'm calling that the game of the week just because – the Oilers are, are the team that's going to have to come in and, and win that game. Um, we, again, we know what the Bruins have done this season. So I think for the Oilers, that's going to be their, like their, their challenge almost to take that game over and, and show, show who they are. Well, that's why when you're going against one of the best teams in the Bruins, like you kind of have to take it just full throttle, go at them like an absolute workhorse. And that's what the Oilers have been like. Bouchard looks ridiculously good. Hyman looks great. McDavid always looks good. I kind of still look in the long run. I kind of still see the Oilers having a question mark in that. But right now, Stuart Skinner's has he's been good. He's held it down. There's been no problem. Drysaddle looks good. So the Bruins definitely have some work cut out for them. But it's going to be a great game to watch and definitely the game of the week. Yeah, honestly, that that seems like the game of the week. Hopefully, uh, no teams hit the the vacation mode button if they're. Uh whether they're going on a road trip or whatever. And and that kind of leads me into what I was reading today and, and looking at, and it came to Nashville. Um, there was a little bit of a, almost like not scare there, but it seems like if they went on to that Vegas trip, went to that U2 concert, um, it could have caused some implications in the locker room maybe. And and uh, someone could have been fired in my opinion. I don't know what you, what you have to say about that. 
I mean, I saw what happened, and it's when I looked at their schedule. I don't know if I saw that Vegas was on the schedule. I remember looking. I don't know if they were going out to play Vegas or they just finish up playing Vegas. I remember trying to look up their schedule and I got busy or something, but I heard about what happened and it goes to show that a coach can kind of just buckle down, make a big decision because I believe he told the team, like, we're not going, this is canceled. Right. He called out the team. He said, everyone's looking forward to the vacation or whatever it might be before the all-star break as he should. And I thought that was an amazing move by him because they haven't looked good at all recently. Like there's nothing good to celebrate. And although they didn't come into the season being a big contender. There's a lot of young players that haven't really turned out or looked amazing this season. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It makes me think of the youth that youth that are going to see that who are fighting for spots in the lineup, whether that's Tomasino, Askarov in a few years, I think that shows a lot about the seriousness of the coach and setting the tone. So I think that's going to actually benefit their future um, as a whole and, and also kind of put that, tone onto other coaches who who are a little quieter in terms of what they do for their team. You know, sometimes they're just go with the flow, um, yeah. you know, work up towards the trade deadline and then either make a playoff push or rebuild. Right. Like, so I, I think that really sets the tone for what coaches do. Right. Well, even setting the tone. And if I were management, if I was a coach, if I was a player, if I was a teammate, if I was a parent, if I was a kid, whoever it is, right? Looking at this situation from an outside, I don't really view this too much as kind of scrutinizing the players out of not going to party or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, these players aren't hitting a standard and actions need to be taken accordingly. And I can totally respect that. And the biggest thing that I can take from this is the coach. He just wants to set the tone in the locker room. Like you said, he wants to build a culture. And when we talk about the Bruins, They've built this culture that has been around for 15 years that people just understand, right? A culture that Marshawn built, Chara built, Krejci, Bergeron, like all these legends, Tuka Raz, like all the legends from the Bruins, right? And you just kind of want to make sure to reiterate that to the young players. So I think for Nashville, that was a great decision. And hopefully they could turn it around and go with a running start. 100% agree. 100% agree. I kind of wanted to ask you about your – not like coaching coaches experience, but like playing minor hockey when you would kind of enter that vacation mode. I think we all can relate to it where, you know, we we had March break growing up, obviously. uh, And that was kind of a lot of people would go away, but it would also be like, you know, almost playoff time. Right. So like, do you have maybe a story you can pinpoint there? A story that I have, we were in the playoffs. It was, I think when we were in grade 10, it was either we were in grade nine or we were grade 10. We won a playoff series and we were waiting for, the second round matchup, I don't remember who we were playing, maybe like the Stars or something like that. I think we ended up losing to like the Huskies, whatever it was. <laughs> but we won the series before they did. So we had a couple days off. And I know a couple players were talking about calling off the practice, having a couple days off before heading into that new series, fresh series. And the coach kind of turned around and said, you know what, we are not doing that. We're going with practice. We're going with the flow. We're doing exactly what we do. There's no breaks, right? There's no time for a break. We're going in hard. And I appreciated that as a player so much because we were able to just go in head first, work hard. That's it. Although we did lose the series, it didn't really work out. I found that personally, it kind of set the tone. I know we keep using that word, but for a culture in the room that the coach is looking for. So as a player, I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, I don't mind that phrase at all, to be honest. Like it, it, it goes back to kind of what was important in those, in the minor hockey days. And for us, like, you you having that routine whether it's going to school on a tuesday or playing your home game home game on a thursday like it's they're just as important right like if you if you're used oh, to yeah. practice on 
uh, on Mondays at, at 6 p.m. and you don't have that, it's, it's going to ruin your day. It's going to ruin your routine for the week. Like, um, you know, might not do as well in school that week. Like, it, it's the truth, right? And I think, like, oh, yeah, it doesn't always get talked about just because kids are kids. It's, it's like, you know, obviously they got to get driven to practice. You know, the coach has to uh, get themselves to practice, do a practice plan. Like, obviously it's all a practice, but, like, obviously if you set the tone at that minor hockey level, it'll lead into – just just greater um you know pedagogy for these players growing up right <laughs> I, uh, we can, well, let's keep this in the podcast it's actually ridiculously funny but i i it, it took you way too long to drop the word pedagogy Ped, pedagogy well, in the podcast. i've been waiting for it we, we, we're keeping that in the podcast we're all cutting anything this is perfectly fine and this is absolutely amazing for all the viewers I've been waiting for it for so long. We almost need to start saying pedagog- ped- pedagogy at least one time per pod. But yeah, I, further, I, I'm sure you weren't expecting it, right? I, I wasn't expecting it. And I don't think the Nashville players were expecting getting that concert canceled. So perfect conversation to wrap it up. And I know we have a little bit of an announcement to make. So I don't know if you want to take it from here. So go ahead. Yeah, so honestly, one of the um, – we've been doing some planning regarding the – you know, social media aspect of the podcast. And while we've covered a lot of the NHL content week to week, um, we want to bring more of like our opinion onto it and allow our viewers to actually have a bit of a, a voice, whether that's in the comments or actually collaborating with us. So uh, we're going to be going live um, starting next week, actually. So still about a week to go. Um, I'm heading out on vacation. I, I know you got a busy week ahead, two cents, but um, we're going to be going live on YouTube as well as TikTok. Um, so what we're going to be doing for that is we're going to be going live on two TikTok accounts because we're not actually at a thousand followers yet. So that's the only that only roadblock I've ran into. Um, yeah. So a bit of an announcement. We'd love you guys to join us. It'll probably be in the evenings um, during the week. So we'll make a little announcement about that. But we appreciate every view, every like, whether you hop in for two minutes, five minutes, or just listen to the pod and leave a comment. Um, we really appreciate it. We'll see your your comments and messages. But uh, yeah, good way to wrap up. Um, thanks for leaving me on that note, Sans. And uh, yeah, we're hoping to a good good hockey week. Bruins, Oilers, here we go. Let's go. Let's and, go. Uh, yeah. Thanks, guys.